Well, again, welcome on this Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We are glad that you are here, that you have joined us. Uh, Our theme for Easter this year is this changes everything. And by this, we mean Jesus and his resurrection change everything. Now, there are times that we use that phrase, this changes everything in other ways. Uh, I've heard it used to describe a new business or a new restaurant that comes to town. Uh, I remember when we first got the rumors that Duncan was coming to Lebanon, there's going to be another coffee option that, that someone said, told me, this is going to be a game changer, Craig. This is going to change everything to have Duncan right here in Lebanon. Now, I'm not sure it changes everything, but it changes a lot for some people. Uh, we, we use the phrase, this changes everything to talk about advancements in technology. Uh, I can remember being a kid and the next generation gaming console coming out and I tried to explain to my parents how this was gonna change everything about my gaming experience. I mean, the graphics were gonna be so much better. It was gonna be so much faster and my parents didn't care at all, uh, but I thought it would change everything for me. Uh, We use it for other technological advancements. Think about the internet, smartphones. Uh, We've said, this will change everything. Uh, Maybe you talk about it when it comes to, to, to a relationship. I've heard people say in conversation that if you add a child to your home, uh, whether that's through birth or adoption or fostering, that it'll change everything for you. Or if you get married, it'll change everything for you. I've heard people say it about significant life events, that this type of event will change everything for you. Uh, we talk about it when it comes to medicine and, and medical advancements, that if you are able to have this surgery or, or have this operation, that that will change everything for you. But when we, when we say that, do we really mean that it will change everything? I mean, think about it for a moment. The, the internet, it has changed a lot for us. Uh, we, we can download things, check information instantly, share information instantly, but does it change everything? Like, does it change how you feel about your marriage right now? Does it change how you feel about your difficulties in, in, in your home? I would guess not. The smartphone, yeah, it changes so much, but does it change everything? Does having that smartphone, whether you're Android, iPhone, Google, whatever you are, um, does does it change how you feel about going back to work on Monday morning or school? Does it change uh, how you feel about the grief that you're bearing right now? We can talk about medical advancements. They change everything. They give a new lease on life for some people, whether that's a a pacemaker, a heart valve, a, a knee replacement, an organ transplant. You may say, yeah, it changes a lot for me. But does it change everything? Does it bring you perfect peace? Does it bring you joy? Does it bring you hope? Or are some of the struggles you have still there? So there's only one that can change everything. And that one is the God that made you. And that one is the God that made me, the God that created us and formed us in his image. And in sending Jesus to come and live and to die and to rise again, he has changed everything and made change possible for every one of us. I mean, just think about what we're celebrating today. Uh, that we live in the reality of the resurrection every day, but we, we have it built into the rhythm of our calendars every year. We're celebrating that 1,990 some years ago that the Son of God who came to live among us to be exposed to the temptations and the difficulties and the trials that you and I are exposed to would, would live and endure those and resist those would, would show us what it really means to be human, what God ultimately desires for us. And not only that, but, but he would willingly take upon our, himself our sin, uh, our wrongdoing, our rebellion, the choices and the mistakes and the failures that we make 
so that we wouldn't have to live with the consequences of that for eternity and that we could find new life in him. And he sealed that when he rolled the stone away and came forth from an empty tomb. That's incredible. And that changes everything about our experience in this life is that we are not no longer bound by a world where sin rules. We're no longer bound by a world where, where death reigns. We, we have a Jesus, a resurrected Jesus who changes everything for us. It can change everything about our past, about our present, and about our future. And that's what we're gonna explore uh, throughout our morning together is how Jesus changes everything about our past, our present, and our future. We're gonna look to some encounters that the resurrected Jesus had with, with, with three people or, or three teams of people. Peter, Mary Magdalene, and then two men on the road to Emmaus. And we're gonna see in those how Jesus changes everything, not only for them, but for us, about our past, our present, and our future. But before we look to those accounts, what I'd like for you to do is check out a video in just a moment. We had so many people submit um, ways that Jesus has changed everything for them uh, from our Lebanon Christian Church community. And so we're gonna show you a couple times this morning uh, just some, some video testimonies of people saying how Jesus has changed everything for them. And my hope is that as you hear their stories, although they're different than yours, that you'll be inspired with hope to see that Jesus can do the same thing in your life, that, that you would be excited, that you would celebrate this Easter Sunday, that Jesus is still changing everything, not just for Peter and Mary and the people on the road to Emmaus, not just for the people on the screen, but that he's prepared and he is even right now in the process of changing everything for you as you look to him and as you trust him and as you follow him. Check out these videos. It was the summer of 2019 and I was found myself again in worry, anxiety, the cycle of school, sorting through options of what we were gonna do with school. Um, as well as a growing bitterness and resentment towards a family member. I was constantly praying to the Lord for his guidance. I was talking to my husband about it, as well as close friends, yet the worry and the anxiety continued. This was not an unusual um, feeling that I had. I struggle with worry and anxiety. It's my go-to emotion um, in times of uncertainty and um, stress. I can worry with the best of them. I had started a new practice um, about three or four years ago of just sitting in solitude and silence before the Lord. And so one morning, as I was sitting quiet before the Lord, I heard this quiet whisper in my spirit from the Lord. It was, I am with you. I also saw I am, the words I am, capital A, capital M, I am. The same I am that was with Moses in the burning bush, the same I am that was with the Israelites in the wilderness. And it struck me that this I am, this great I am, was sitting here with me too. The next morning, we're gathered around the table for breakfast. It's our habit to sit around the table at breakfast and read the Bible together. And we were reading through Matthew at that time. So my, as my boys and I, as we opened it up, we found ourselves at the Great Commission. Jesus closes with, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I nearly wept at the kindness of the Lord as he just reminded me of what he had taught me the day before. And in that, I feel like he was showing me and he was teaching me then and he's teaching me now that we may not always have a clear answer to a prayer. We might not always have a clear direction as in this option A is what you should do. 
or road B is where you're going to go. But this promise that he's taught is teaching me is that if I seek after him and if I follow him, that he is always with me. Because I should not be who I am today because of everything I have been through. I did not grow up in church. I didn't really know the gospel, the truth at all. It started out rough, a rough life with divorce uh, between my parents and then step-parents and then um, physical abuse from a step-parent. And then my mom was in and out of my life, uh, more so out of my life. Um, I was 13 and my little brother died tragically, unexpectedly. Um, so that made things even worse. Um, but I always had a feeling of, um, I just had a longing for something. Early teenage years, my mom came back into my life and was not a very good um, example at all. I was around a lot of um, not great things. Uh, you know, just a lot of bad stuff, but but I didn't. I, I really kind of always veered away from the negativity. Um, I didn't really have a reason to because I, I didn't have any hope in Jesus because I didn't know him, um, but I just always did. There was just always something with me. And um, it wasn't until I was a young adult that I realized, wait a minute, this this thing that's missing, uh, I wonder, you know, so I started coming to church and just realized getting to know Jesus, I could look back and see all the ways that he played a part in my life and, and guided me on this path that led me to who I am today, which isn't really the person I should be based on where I was going and everything I had been through. So he literally rescued me and saved me from so many things in my life. Um, so yeah, he, he changed absolutely everything for me. I am who I am today because he had a plan for me and he rescued me from all of those situations. So I came to Christ when I was very young. Um, I grew up in a Christian church about an hour from here outside of uh, Terre Haute, a little bit north of that. And my mom was heavily involved in the church, junior church. She taught Sunday schools in the choir and just a tremendous influence on me. I, I was baptized when I was six, which is pretty young. And later on in my late teens and early 20s, you know, you, you make dumb decisions, mistakes. And I, I was at a point where I started to question you know, did my baptism take? Uh, what's what's wrong with me? And I uh, went and talked to the minister of the church at that time, uh, a young guy himself, and he asked me two simple questions. He said, Sam, did you know what you were doing when you did it, and was it your decision? And I could answer yes to both of those because uh, I, I knew enough to know that I made the decision. He says, well, then, I think what Jesus is wanting is for you to make changes and grow in your maturity. And it's not about going back and starting over, it's about taking the next step. And so from then on, uh, tried to get involved in things at church, help out where I could and youth programs, and uh, graduated from college at that time from Indiana State, not intending to go into ministry. But the way that I would say that Jesus changed everything for me, for me is, 
at that point, I began to feel a call towards ministry. And that led to youth ministry, that led to preaching. I was already involved in going to Haiti on mission trips. And eventually, over the course of a couple decades, led me to where I am now, the director of a mission in Haiti. And none of that would have happened if Jesus hadn't changed uh, where my life was heading, which wasn't bad, but wasn't for the best. All different and unique people and unique stories, just like you. And yet they share how, uh, in some way, Jesus has been changing everything uh, for them. Again, as we look at how Jesus changes everything, how Jesus and the resurrection change everything, I want you to see how Jesus and the resurrection can change everything about how you understand your past and how maybe you even feel held captive uh, by your past. And for that, I want to look at Jesus and Peter uh, following Jesus' resurrection. But before we can get to the encounters after the resurrection, we have to talk a little bit about what happened with Peter just before uh, Jesus was killed. Some of you, many of you likely know the story. Uh, Peter's final moments with Jesus weren't exactly stellar uh, in the moments leading up to Jesus' death. All four of the gospel writers, those men who wrote these historical records of Jesus' life, uh, tell us about Peter denying Jesus. And we're not talking about a casual denial. We're not talking about just a casual, hey, I don't know who he is. But no, three times Peter denies Jesus. Peter turns his back on Jesus. And to help you see just how weighty this is, here is Peter, one of the first men called to come and follow Jesus, one of the original 12 disciples. But he was also part of what we call this inner circle of three Peter and Jesus shared an intimate relationship. They had a close relationship. Um, Jesus trusted Peter. Jesus on one occasion had told Peter, hey, Peter, I'm gonna build my church upon you and upon this confession that you believe that I'm the Messiah. Like, like you're gonna do big things for me, Peter. And then in one of Jesus' most desperate times, Peter denies him. Again, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about Peter's denial. Matthew gives us a little bit of insight. He helps us see it the first time that Peter is asked, um, do you know Jesus? Are you one of his followers? That, that, that Peter more casually says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know who you're talking about. But then the second time he's asked, Peter really doubles down. He, he actually makes an oath that he never knew Jesus. Now that may not surprise you, but Peter had been in the audience that day when Jesus talked about the importance of letting your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to make an oath by heaven or by earth. Like you don't need to swear by anything. And here's Peter swearing, I never knew Jesus. Do you see how strong that denial is? And then to take it a step further, when he's asked the third time, he, he calls down curses upon himself. He says, may I be cursed if I'm lying to you? I never knew Jesus. And help us see the weight and the intensity of the denial. I want you to hear what happened according to Luke. Luke 22, verses 61 and 62, when Peter made this final denial. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So, so Peter denies Jesus, and he glances over the courtyard to where Jesus is being tried, 
And Jesus looks back and their eyes meet in that moment as Peter denies his master, his teacher. And we see that Peter's overcome with emotion. He weeps bitterly. So imagine being Peter on Resurrection Sunday. Imagine being Peter when you race and you find the empty tomb and then later you see Jesus face to face. What would you have been feeling when you see Jesus when the last time you saw him and your eyes met, you had denied him adamantly, strongly, turned your back on him? I wouldn't think it's far to say that there's plenty of regret, perhaps remorse, certainly probably guilt, maybe even some shame. And I wanna take you to how Jesus changes that for Peter, how he sets him free from his past, how the resurrected Jesus changes everything about Peter's past. And in John 21, we don't have time to read the account, but if you find it in your Bibles, you can likely follow along with me. Um, We find Peter out fishing. Do you know one of the last times we see Peter fishing in scripture, uh, Luke tells us the account that that Peter is out fishing with some of the other soon-to-be disciples. They've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And so this new teacher, Jesus, comes to them and he says, hey, um, why don't you throw your nets out on the other side of the boat? And so they do. And it's such a miraculous catch of fish that that brings Peter to this place of repentance. He says, I'm a sinful man. And that's when Jesus first calls Peter to follow him. Well, fast forward uh, nearly three years later, Again, Peter having denied Jesus, he's gone back to what he knows and what he's familiar with. He's back to fishing. In John chapter 21, uh, Peter is fishing and very similar things happen. They've been out all night. They haven't caught anything. Jesus comes to them. Throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. They have a miraculous catch of fish. So Peter again is stirred. He jumps out of the boat and he comes to Jesus. They end up having breakfast on the beach and following breakfast on the beach, he and Jesus take a private walk down the beach. And on that walk, here's what Jesus does. Jesus asks them three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asks them, Peter, do you love me? And I can only imagine if I'm Peter that I'm remembering the three times I've denied Jesus. But after every time when when Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus gives him a command. He says, go and feed my sheep. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, Peter, I still have work for you. Peter, I still wanna use you. Peter, your mistakes, your past, your failures, guess what? I died for those too, and I still wanna use you for my purposes and in my kingdom. And that's the power of the resurrected Jesus is that he changes everything about our past. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for that because I carry my own regrets. I carry my own remorse about things that I have done, things that I have seen, places that I have gone. I have my own guilt and shame. And I would venture to say that everyone in this room, especially the longer that you have lived, have your own things that you regret and your own things that you have remorse over and your own sins and your own failures and your own mistakes, some of which you hope nobody ever learns, but you certainly can't forget. And you probably wonder from time to time, can God still use me? And that's the power of the resurrected Jesus is that when he went to the grave, he carried with him the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, that if we will trust and follow him, if we will believe in him, he can set us free and bring us new life. That doesn't mean that the consequences for our wrongdoing in this world go away, but he still wants to use us. He still wants to, he's delivered us from the eternal consequences and he wants to use us and equip us to, to be useful tools in his hands for the rest of our lives. 
That's the power of the resurrected Jesus. He changes everything about our past, but it's not just our past. He changes everything about our present. And for that, I want you to see this encounter Jesus has with Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. Mary is a woman who has been following Jesus now for years. Uh, We're told in in Luke chapter eight that she's one of the women that helps support Jesus in his ministry. They have a close relationship. She was freed from demon possession by Jesus. Uh, She has loved this teacher. He has brought life to her. And listen to her and hear her and observe her emotional state. I want you to observe what she is experiencing in the present. John chapter 20, uh, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. So Mary has come to the tomb. Uh, She had hoped to anoint Jesus's body uh, for, you know, the kind of the final burial. Things were rushed on, on Friday night. She gets there and the tomb is open. She saw, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels ask her. So we can observe that Mary is clearly distraught. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. To add to her grief, now there's this anguish of wondering if his body has been stolen. It tells us, John tells us that she turned to leave and saw someone standing there He lets us know that it was Jesus. He's writing this after the fact, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Mary thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Again, Mary, distraught, discouraged, in anguish. That's her present. That's what she's feeling in real time. The resurrected Jesus changes everything. Look Look at verse 16. Jesus calls to her by name. Jesus sees her. Jesus knows her. Jesus speaks to her. He says, Mary. And the sound of her voice said only as he could say it. She turns to him and she cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. She clearly grabs hold of him. She doesn't want to let go. And Jesus says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go, Go find my brothers, go find the disciples and tell them that I am going to ascend to my father, to your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them I have seen the Lord and then she gave them his message. So in Mary's present, prior to encountering the resurrected Jesus, she was in despair, she was in anguish, she was distraught. She was just living the difficult emotions of a difficult life. But in meeting Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, everything changes. It doesn't mean that Mary's problems would forever go away, but it meant she had the reality of his presence with her in the present. And when we look at the life of followers of Jesus after his resurrection, we see them face all kinds of trials. If you've been journeying with us as a church through the book of Acts, then you know that the early disciples faced all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of persecution, all kinds of hardship and sorrows and griefs, and yet they knew they had Jesus, his spirit with them. We were told by Paul that the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives now in us as we trust and follow him. That means that we have his presence with us in the present, and that's how the resurrected Jesus can change everything about your present. 
If you will look to him in the midst of the hardship, if you will look to him in the midst of the storm, if you will look to him in the midst of the trial, you can know that he is with you, that you are not abandoned. If he can conquer the grave and if he can overcome death and sin, that he can help you either through or deliver you from whatever difficulty or hardship you're experiencing in this moment. Jesus changes everything about our experience of the present. I think about Paul's words to the Romans. These are some of the treasured words that we cling to. Romans chapter eight, verse 28, tells us that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's a promise that God is at work, that he's working even in your present, even when that present is hard. Jesus changes everything about our past and about our present. He wants to change everything about your past and about your present He wants to change everything about our future. Uh, But before I walk you through that, I want you to hear from a few more people at Lebanon Christian Church. Several years ago, um, Jason and I were happily married. We had our beautiful daughter, and we really wanted another child. After several failed fertility treatments, we decided to start an adoption fund. So you can imagine our excitement a year and a half later when we found out we were pregnant. And at 28 weeks, we found out the baby was really twin boys. Due to health complications for myself and the boys, they were born at 31 weeks. I was released from the hospital before they were, and so we had several trips up to the NICU. And on one of those trips, um, the song Blessed Be Your Name came on. The part that really stuck out to me was, you give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Jason reached over and grabbed my hand, and we were both crying. And I realized at that point, if God chose to take the boys or leave them with me, would I still say, blessed be your name? And I realized that God loves those boys so much more than I ever could, which meant he loved me more than I ever could. We continued to cling to Jesus when um, we were told Alec would never walk, talk, see, or hear. A few years later, Alec had a pretty significant cancer scare, and again, we clung to Jesus. Um, And even now, Elena recently went to Albania, and I had to trust that his plan for her was much better than any plan I could ever think of. Jesus is the giver of hope and trust and peace. And if I let his plan become my plan, then Jesus changes everything. Jesus has definitely changed everything in my life. I grew up in the church. I was raised in church for as long as I can remember. I was going to church every Sunday and um, had a great family, uh, but I did have some baggage in my family. I have some alcoholism by a family member, and I had an abusive step-parent, and I also had a father that was almost non-existent after my parents got divorced. So there were some hard times, and um, but I really just wanted to get away from my stepdad, and so I prayed all the time. I went to church. I learned that God cares and that Jesus forgives and that Jesus loves us and wants us to be in a good situation. And I was not in a good situation. I was very, very unhappy, even though I still had a mom who loved me and took good care of me. It was just a very, very hard time. And I'll never forget the day that I finally realized that that was over. I was at my neighbor's house and um, I was looking outside and I saw my grandpa and my uncles moving our furniture out. And in that moment, I just felt Jesus' peace wash over me, and I was so grateful because I knew that we were getting away from him and that things would get better, and they did get better. It was hard. 
I still had a lot of things I needed to deal with. I still struggle with some things, even as an adult, all these years later. But God has always been faithful, and He has always taken care of me, and He's always been there for me um, in all that I do and all my struggles. Jesus has changed everything. He's changed my path in life, who I married, um, where I work. He's changed how I serve. He's changed everything, and I'm so glad. Oh, hey, it's our turn. <laughs> Hello, my name's Dustin, and it's this is... Daniel. People come into our life for a moment, a day, a year, or even sometimes a lifetime. And I want to share a story about a father and his two sons. But I also, so I want to take you back nine years ago, and me and my wife were uh, expecting our first child. And his name is Isaac. And what was going to be the happiest time of our life ended up being the worst time of our life. In 10 days prior to him coming to, into this world, his heart stopped beating. And Isaac, what felt like in that moment, Isaac was only in our life for a moment. And um, I, right then and there, I knew my faith was going to be tested. So fast forward two more years, and me and my wife are boarding on an airplane to fly halfway around the world to go to China to adopt Daniel. hey -o. And so, and it, this was another moment in my life that I knew that my faith was going to be tested. And, but so when we had gotten Daniel, he was about six years old. We got him home and through an interpreter, because Daniel spoke no English, um, we had asked him, had he ever heard the name Jesus? And he said, no. And I said, that's perfect. So what are you doing over here? I'm writing a name. Oh, okay. Well, whose name? This name is above all name. Okay. Well, let's show them. Jesus. <laughs> what, what does Jesus mean to you? Love. So Jesus is love. Um, so this name changes everything. Jesus is the Son of God. He is a game changer. And I could not imagine my life without Jesus. But the cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't want to be just in your life for a moment. He doesn't want to be in your life for a day or even a year. He wants to be in your life for forever and beyond. Again, I'm so thankful for uh, just your willingness uh, in our LCC family to share stories of how Jesus has changed everything. And these aren't all the stories that we got in. Um, you're going to hear more of those in the coming weeks. Uh, you've already heard some of the stories from our staff in the weeks leading up to this. Um, we just believe that Jesus changes everything. We experience it so, um, so profoundly, and we want you to experience that. We want you to think about your life and to see how Jesus has truly changed everything for you. What is different for you because of this Jesus who rose again, who is victorious over the grave? Uh, yes, he changes everything about our past. You've heard, you've heard examples of that. He changes everything about our present in real time, but he also changes everything about our future. 
you and I live in the same world. Uh, we read the same news reports, or maybe you try to ignore the same news reports. But it's not hard to see. We were just having this conversation on the way here today, Audrey and I. Uh, we were talking about something in her life that happened in 2019. I, I'm like, that just feels so long ago. I feel like the last few years have been really long and hard years. And I know that's not the, uh, an isolated experience for me and, and for Audrey. And we look out at the world and, and we see, and think about the headlines over the last couple of weeks. Um, another mass shooting. Uh, woke up in the news today to another shooting uh, in, in the U.S. Um, think about what we've had in the news about the rise of, of AI and uh, all the things they're saying about whether or not AI is going to destroy the world and let's have people weigh in on AI. I think about the nuclear threats that we've seen issued by North Korea and by Russia. Add to that the, the violence and the evening news and uh, the other difficulties we face in our economy, and the future can look pretty bleak. So how does the resurrected Jesus change our experience and our anticipation and our look out towards the future? And I think for that, I want you to see this encounter Jesus has with some men on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. So, so Jesus has... Uh, come back from the dead, rumors are circulating. And there are these two men who are some of his followers, not part of the inner group of 12, but um, they've been following Jesus. They're disappointed and they're dejected and they're discouraged and they're in despair as they think about their future. They're making their way, way back to Emmaus. Things have not transpired as they hoped they would. And yet they meet the resurrected Jesus. I want you to hear this, uh, Luke 24, 13 and following. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. It tells us all we need to know about what they're feeling in the moment. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here, happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Again, they don't recognize him. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. You can feel uh, their discouragement. You can feel their despair. They had hoped. Like, like we had hoped that he was the one we'd been waiting for. He was going to make everything new that was going to change our fortunes for the future. We had hoped. But they're losing that hope. And as they continue their walk on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus begins to teach them. Again, they don't know that it's Jesus. They think it's just a stranger. Verse 27 tells us that uh, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, ex explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So Jesus begins to walk them through and says, you know what? You say all these things happen to Jesus, but, but didn't Moses say that this would happen? Didn't the prophets say that this would happen? And he begins to rebuild and help them see that the things that unfolded around his life, around Jesus' life, actually don't diminish him as Messiah. Like they're actually fulfilling what, what he was meant to do and, and be. And by the time they get to Emmaus, it tells us in, in Luke's account that their hearts were burning inside of them. They'd kind of come alive again. They, they break bread with Jesus, and as he breaks the bread, they see that it's really Jesus, and then suddenly he's gone. They then race back from Emmaus to Jerusalem, the seven miles again, gather with the disciples, and Jesus appears to them there, and he cements for them this reality that he is the Messiah. So their future looked bleak. Their future was full of despair in their eyes. And Jesus says, no, I conquered the grave. I rose back to life. There is new life. Your future is secure. Again, does that mean for them that life's gonna be easy? That there's gonna be no hardship? No, we know from the history of the church that's not the case. But they know that their future is secure because Jesus conquered the grave and he conquered sin. And that means that their victory was sure. That no matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult the age was, that God was still on his throne and that God was still working. Jesus was cementing that promise that had been with his people for years that never will I leave you or forsake you. We can look out at our world right now and we can say, man, it looks bleak. It may look worse uh, to some of us than it's ever, ever looked uh, in our lifetimes. But because Jesus conquered the grave and he conquered sin and he conquered death, a dark future won't get the final say. But there's a Jesus who is still working in all those circumstances, who's still working in all those trials, who's still accomplishing purposes that we have yet to even begin to understand. Our future is secure. Jesus changes everything. The resurrected Jesus changes everything about the future, about our past, about our present, and about our future. And that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, that everything is different, that nothing is the same. We can get up early and we can see the sun rise and we can see it through new eyes because there is new life. The Son of God gave his life for us and he rose victoriously. And as we trust and follow him, we can have that new life. And we don't have to be held captive to our past. Our present doesn't have to ruin us. Our future doesn't have to scare us because Jesus has risen from the grave. That's what we celebrate. I know that many of you in the room, because I look around the, the room and I see your faces, I know some of your stories, many of you are already followers of Jesus. But if you are not, and you wanna know how Jesus changes everything for you, we want you to know that we'd love to walk alongside you and help you discover Jesus and trust and follow him. A number of ways you can, can get that started here at Lebanon Christian Church. You can uh, fill out a connection card at one of our communion stations around the room and just drop that card in the offering box. Uh, you can email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org. Uh, you can scan the QR codes in our building that say, let's connect, and it'll open up a form in your web browser and let us know how, how we can connect with you. If you don't know what a form and a web browser are, then I would stick to the communion stations and those cards. It's gonna be the easiest thing or email. Uh, you can also start a conversation with someone who invited you. If you are here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and someone said, hey, would you come to Easter worship with me? That's the best place to start your conversation. It's someone who you trust, someone who you care about, someone who you trust enough to even come with them to a church that you've never been to before. Um, but we would love to help you discover this Jesus who changes everything about our past, our present, and our future.
If you are a follower of Jesus, then Easter Sunday should be a day of immense encouragement for you that everything has changed because Jesus, the Son of God, your Savior, rose victoriously from the grave. Uh, we we want to end um, by sharing in the Lord's Supper together and then singing one more song. Uh, we're doing that intentionally because the Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity to think about how Jesus changes everything about our past, our present, and our future. Uh, we have, if you're new to Lebanon Christian Church, again, communion stations around the room. There are six of them. And in just a few moments when I pray, you're invited to get up after my prayer and go to the nearest communion station, uh, grab the double stack cups. Uh, the top cup has your juice. The bottom cup has your bread. Uh, those two things are significant because Jesus, the day before he was crucified, met with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem. He shared the Passover meal with them, but during that Passover meal, he did something that had never been done before. Instead of just eating the Passover bread and drinking the cups of wine with the Passover, he changed things for them. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. He took the juice and he gave it and he says, drink from this cup, this is my blood, it's poured out for you. He was, he was foreshadowing the death that was to come, the life that would be theirs because of his death. And he encouraged them that every time they ate the bread and they drank from the cup, that they should remember him, to do it in remembrance of him. And so he's given us this the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, depending upon your church tradition, to think about what he did for us, to bring us life, to change everything for us. So as you eat that bread and you drink that cup, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you think about how he's changed your past? Would you be reminded, would you be encouraged that he wants to change your present by giving his life for you? That he changes everything about your future, no matter what is to come. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we invite you just to sit quietly where you're at and maybe pray and, and reflect on the things that you've heard this morning. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe talk to God about how you could get to know him more. Um, and we'll share in the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for uh, the power that you have displayed in Jesus. Uh, in his death, in your mercy, in your grace, but God, your power that you've displayed in his life. God, I just cannot imagine what it must have been like to, to be there that first morning, to be distraught about an empty tomb, but then to see that your Savior lives. And God, now we get to live in the power of that every day. And so God, as we share in the Lord's Supper, remind us of your power, that your power is at work, that you do change everything about our past, our present, and our future. And it's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.